Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Hi, this is Paul McMullen, Managing Editor of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Kevin Cowherd, uh, author of a, a new book, When the Crowd Didn't Roar, How Baseball's Strangest Game Ever Gave a Broken City Hope. And this is Kevin's uh, retelling of the events of April 2015 in Baltimore in the aftermath of the Freddie Gray death and the unrest that followed in the Baltimore Orioles game against the Chicago White Sox on April 29, 2015. And it's a very important read for anyone who's interested in baseball or Baltimore or, or just a good yarn. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, pal. Great to see you. Good to see you. Kevin and I go back a ways. We both got to the Baltimore Evening Sun in 1981. Kevin showed uncommon wisdom for a young man infatuated with sports. I remember when uh, he was a young father, uh, and he and his wife Nance were raising their children, and Kevin stepped away from sports to go become a humor columnist. So you I were, did. You were mentoring us even then. We just didn't even know it. Well, it, the travel uh, grind got to me. Uh, as you and I have talked about, and uh, I just decided, you know what, if I don't, if I don't step away from this, if I don't get like a normal job where I'm <laughs> going to be home on weekends, I'll never be able to coach my kids, won't be able to do uh, all sorts of other things with them. So that was uh, the impetus for me to, uh, to get out of sports and get into features, and that was many years ago. As locals will understand, you're not from here. You've got a an accent from uh, upstate New York. Really? People tell me my accent's gone. <laughs> Been down here 38 years, Mac. <laughs> you uh, were raised at Sacred Heart Parish in Monroe, New yeah. York. You're now a parishioner of St. Joseph in yeah. Cockeysville. Right. And uh, you and I were talking a few minutes ago. I, uh, I'm curious, as throughout your book, uh, which, which tells about the, uh, the dire circumstances in Baltimore that uh, led to the unrest, and four years later, uh, things are not necessarily any better. No. They're probably worse, but we keep racking up 300-plus murders a year. But throughout your book, whether you're talking about Freddie Gray or the Baltimore City Police or Buck Showalter or Chris Davis or Adam Jones or the visitors or the umpires or whoever, I get this sense of empathy. Hmm. Where did your empathy come from? Well, once I started reading uh, and doing research for the book, uh, Paul, in doing that I realized how dire the circumstances were for so many residents in West Baltimore. Well, you know, when I was growing up, good Catholic boy, I like to say that, Irish Catholic household, uh, everything that was drummed into us was that you have to help the less fortunate among us. And I really believe that one of the problems in Baltimore and one of the problems and one of the issues that led to this horrible Freddie Gray unrest, of course it was his death uh, from injuries suffered in police custody, but the other problem was that uh, his death just sparked this. There's, there's such despair in West Baltimore still, and there certainly was back then. So you had this 
the death of this uh, uh, African-American, 25-year-old African-American guy in police custody, coupled with the horrendous living conditions for so many people in West Baltimore. And it was just a spark. And that spark led to the Freddie Gray riots, the Freddie Gray unrest, whatever you want to call it. You know, my I guess my empathy was for the, the, uh, the, the, the certainly not for the people who, who vandalized stores and broke into stores and set stores on fire, but certainly for the people of West Baltimore who have to live in such uh, dire conditions um, and have for many, many years. You know, I'll never forget where I was on April 27th, 2015. We were a bi-weekly newspaper at the time, and it was the day before we were going to press. Mm. And I covered the funeral. Okay. And uh, I'll never forget driving north uh, and having the motorcycle gangs direct us up to uh, Druid Hill and coming upon Mondalman Mall and not aware of what was going on up there, that right. there was every public high school student in Baltimore was going to be uh, convening there either on their way home or, or being led out of Douglas High. I had right. no idea what, what was unfolding. Um, and it unfolded so quickly. Um, you know, around 3 o'clock, a little before that, these students started pouring out of Frederick Douglass. They were intent on demonstrating, and uh, the police responded in riot gear with Humvees, and it, it seemed to escalate the situation. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew at that time how bad it was going to get because these were basically school kids. They were throwing rocks at the police, but then those those kids were joined by others as you pointed out you know transportation was stopped you know they made a, a disastrous decision to shut down light rail to shut down uh, buses and all these kids were there with nothing to do so they joined the unrest once the unrest was um, uh, the 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 riots the unrest was joined by a bunch of older guys and that's when they started moving through West Baltimore, and that's when the, most of the vandalism, most of the looting took place. And of course, there was the, the, those iconic shots that went all over the world of the CVS store in West Baltimore burning, first being looted, then set on fire, black plumes of smoke rising into the sky, every cable network, every uh, network, every cable network, every newspaper had that um, on its front uh, cover the next day. So that was um, really the defining image of a, of a city out of control. Dark times, dark times. You remember good times uh, with Baltimore baseball. You covered the 83 World Series. I did. Last World Series for the Orioles. It did happen, folks. The Orioles were world champions. Champions of the world in 1966, 1970, and finally in 1983. Baseball's a loud, noisy game. Uh, your book includes some language that isn't appropriate for children, but you hear it in locker rooms and you'll hear it at the ball yard too. Um, how did you go about evoking what a bizarre, surreal circumstances it were that when the Orioles played the White Sox on April 29th, two days after Freddie Gray's death and the riots, that no fans were allowed into the game. No fans. Totally surreal atmosphere. Um, it was so quiet that the ball players on both teams were whispering to, to each other because they were afraid if they spoke too loud, the umpires would hear, the other team would hear, so they're whispering to each other. One of the things that I point out in the book is nobody who was involved in this game had any fun. This wasn't fun for these guys. Because the, everything was so surreal, the silence was unnerving. Uh, it, it, you know, when when a ball went off the bat, 
the crack of the bat seemed so loud that it threw off the fielders because they couldn't tell. They thought everything was so loud it sounded like the ball was going to hit off the uh, warehouse wall instead of just being a single to right field. Everything about it. At one point, Buck Showalter called for a, uh, a relief pitcher, and the bullpen phone sounded like a, a fire alarm going off. So it was really... And when the silence was broken, it was broken in unnerving ways. You had helicopters, news helicopters, police helicopters clattering overhead. You had Humvees roaring past Camden Street outside. Military Humvees, you'll recall that the National Guard was in town. And then you had the cries of these angry protesters who you could hear the cries in the stadium. They were over at City Hall protesting. So this was an, unlike any other game any of these guys had ever played. And the silence was not fun. This wasn't a fun game. And the White Sox lost badly. The final score was 8-2. to two. game was held in a snappy two hours and three minutes. When's mm-hmm. the last time you know that's ever happened? Not this millennium. Right. And the White Sox just wanted to get out of town. They, were, they had been holed up in their hotel for two days before this, this game. Two of the previous games against the White Sox were, were uh, postponed. So not a fun time and a totally unnerving and surreal time for anybody who did participate in that game. Can't imagine. Can't imagine. We're about to take a break. Uh, after the break, we'll talk more with Kevin Cowherd about his new book, When the Crowd Didn't Roar, How Baseball's Strangest Game Ever Gave a Broken City Hope. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore, and we'll be right back. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Catholic bishops from around the U.S. were quick to condemn the April 27th attack on a Jewish community gathered at a synagogue near San Diego, which left one person dead and three others injured. Archbishop William E. Lurie called the attack a terrible act of hatred and violence. I am horrified and saddened by yet another attack on innocent people of faith who were gathered at prayer, he said. I ask the people of the Archdiocese of Baltimore to join me in praying for those who have been affected by this violence and to pray that God brings a change of heart to those who are consumed by hatred and intolerance, he said. Cardinal Daniel DiNardo of Galveston, Houston, Texas, president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, said in an April 28th statement that our country should be better than this. Our world should be beyond such acts of hatred and anti-Semitism, he said. News reports say members of the synagogue were gathered to mark the last day of Passover, a Jewish holiday celebrated for eight days, commemorating the deliverance of the ancient Hebrews from slavery in Egypt when shots rang out shortly before noon. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Fears of suicide bomb attacks kept many Christians and Muslims away from churches and mosques for Sunday Mass and Friday prayers a week after the Easter bombings. The Catholic Church halted Masses and Sunday schools until security improves after terror attacks killed more than 250 people April 21st. The gates of churches were closed with padlocks. Many mosques canceled Friday prayers April 26th in solidarity with churches. Archbishop Lurie condemned the attacks in Sri Lanka and asked for prayers for the victims. He said all must stand united in lifting up the right to religious freedom in the face of those who would use violence and intimidation to squash it. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Whether he's in a church or in an airplane, permanent deacon Daniel Michaud loves to serve God's people. In addition to his ministry at Our Lady of Victory in Arbutus, he has the opportunity to encounter 300 to 500 people a day as a flight attendant for Southwest Airlines, and he aims to make them all positive experiences. 
It's seamless working as a deacon and working as a flight attendant, Deacon Mashad said. In both places, I'm serving God's people. I'm able to call them God's people in church, maybe not necessarily on the airplane, but they're still the same people, he said. As a flight attendant, Deacon Mashad is able to witness to his faith and be the person God intended him to be, he said. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Christian hairdressers, beauticians, and barbers can live their faith by being kind and courteous to their clients and cutting out the gossip and petty chit-chat, Pope Francis said, according to Catholic News Service. May you always act with integrity, thereby making a positive contribution to the common good, he told cosmetologists who belong to an Italian Catholic association dedicated to St. Martin de Pours. Speaking April 29th to members of the association who were on pilgrimage to Rome, the Pope asked that their patron saint help them live out their Christian values in the workplace. May he inspire you above all to carry out your profession in a Christian way, treating clients with kindness and courtesy, always offering them a kind and encouraging word, avoiding the temptation of gossip that easily finds its way into your workplace too, he said. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. This is Paul McMullen, managing editor of the Catholic Review. We're here with Kevin Cowherd the author of When the Crowd Didn't Roar, How Baseball's Strangest Game Ever Gave a Broken City Hope. It's about April 2015 in Baltimore, and the uh, infamous uh, game of April 29th between the Orioles and the White Sox at Camden Yards without any fans. Kevin, you referenced um, 9-11. At times, 
Uh, I feel like James Earl Jones uh, is in the head of some of the guys talking to you about the importance of baseball. And it made me think back to 9-11. And my wife and I had stopped going to baseball games after according to the 82 and 83 Orioles. But when the Yankees returned and baseball returned to Oriole Park at Camden Yards in mid-September, we felt compelled to take our youngest kids to Oriole Park to let them know that things were back to normal. Mm -hmm. Okay, baseball, it's normal. We played baseball through the wars. It Mm -hmm. goes through anything. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to evoke James Earl Jones Mm. and the field of dreams. But this wasn't normal. No, this was anything but. Uh, To your point, baseball had been canceled at other times for non-weather-related stuff. Um, in uh, a perfect example is the terrorist attacks of 2001, September 11th. Uh, Bud Selig was the commissioner then. He said, we're going to delay baseball for a week as the country recovers from this. Uh, in 1992, the Rodney King riots in, um, in Los Angeles after Rodney King, a black motorist, was, uh, was beaten by uh, four cops who chased him on a high-speed auto chase, and the, uh, the, uh, eventually he, uh, the cops were acquitted, and the city rioted. Uh, during that time, the Dodgers and Montreal Expos were scheduled to play four games. Those games were canceled. Um, the start of the uh, 1986 season, uh, after the death of Martin Luther King, I'm sorry, 68, 68 season, 86 transposed two numbers. And, and, and Pete Rozelle's biggest failure as commissioner of the NFL was letting the NFL play after John F. Kennedy's assassination. Yeah, and then after Martin Luther King's uh, assassination, uh, a number of black players, including Bob Gibson, the great uh, uh, pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, Roberto Clemente, the great outfielder for the Pirates, wanted to delay the start of the season until after Dr. King's funeral. So this was not totally unprecedented in terms of having games postponed or canceled. It was unprecedented in the sense that all those other things that we just talked about, all those other games were made up with fans. This was the first game in any professional sport, basketball, football, hockey, and uh, baseball, to be played without fans. So that's what makes this game so unusual. Reading the book, it's as if you, Kevin Cowherd, are in the locker room, in the announcing booth with Jim Thorne uh, uh, and um, Jim Palmer and, and Jim Gary Palmer Thorne. And Gary yep. Thorne. Yep. You're, you're with uh, Wendell Stout and the other umpires. You're with Ricky Rutherford, a guy I went to high school with who works for Major League Baseball. You're with these people. Where were you on April 29th, 2015? I was downtown. Not in the, I, I didn't cover the game. I've spoken to just about everybody uh, who was there, Mac? Every every uh, writer, every broadcaster, the umpires, the players, uh, managers. So I was I wanted to recreate how surreal that game was, and I wanted to you'll, you'll uh, note that the book is told in the present tense. Mm-hmm. I wanted a kind of a you are there mm-hmm. uh, feel to it. Um, and so I did the research like you do, like you know you did for a thousand years for your son articles. You just you you, you know you you delve into it. Uh, you interview people. You go back and look at records. And uh, I think it's a pretty good re- recreation of what happened that day. It's not only good; it's important. Um, on April 29th, the four-year anniversary of the game, Archbishop William E. Lorry, who he's just put out a uh, a second pastoral letter on racism in as many years mm. uh, and he's leading he just led a uh, 
a, a discussion about that um, with some important folks uh, at Notre Dame of Maryland University. Mm-hmm. So this is a cause that's near and dear to his heart and one that he deems of the utmost importance. I remember the morning after the riots mm. uh, coming in to put out our, our, our newspaper and sending my boss, uh, Chris Gunty, giving him the keys to my car and sending him over to St. Peter Claver at Sandtown West Winchester, mm. where Archbishop Roy was going to visit. And uh, Karen Osborne was our photographer at the time, and I informed her, you're riding shotgun, pardon the pun, and you're going over with Chris to St. Peter Claver. Mm. And they got there back safe and sound and, and got a sense of the desire and the need among cooler heads to bring to clean things up and bring things to normalcy, while at the same time acknowledging that there's a lot of social ills out there that we need to address. Well, this, the cleanup started the next day, as you're mm-hmm. as you're talking about, and it was um, uh, a time when Baltimore kind of uh, stepped back a little bit. The residents of West Baltimore kind of stepped back, took a deep breath, and said, "Hey, we got to, you know, th- th- this was terrible. This was catastrophic. But now we got to get together again, and we got to clean." Uh, we, we've got to clean up this, the uh, streets. But the only thing that you have to remember is tensions were still very, very high that day. Uh, that was the Tuesday after the Freddie Gray unrest. The Wednesday um, that is chronicled here in the, uh, the ball game behind lock gates at Camden Yards, tensions were still very high in the city. Nobody knew what was, uh, not until the end of the day, and that's why I talk about the hope that this uh, ball game uh, inspired in a lot of people. Not until the end of the day did people really take a deep breath and think maybe the worst of the unrest is over. Maybe the city isn't irretrievably broken. Maybe we can start getting back to some semblance of normalcy. But the issues that cause the unrest, um, you know, they haven't gone away. And as you alluded to earlier in the broadcast, it might even be worse now. Uh, the city might even be in worse condition. Uh, in terms of uh, division, in terms of poverty, crime, drugs, uh, the police department, the mayor's office, than it was four years ago. So, so the last word in the title of your book is hope. Yeah. There was hope that day, Mac. There was hope that day that the, maybe the worst of it was over. And I think that baseball game, lots of people have told me this, the city council people, Kwesi and Fume, former Maryland congressman and NAACP president, uh, fans that were outside of Camden Yards watching this game, the players who, uh, after the game, went home and sat in front of their TV sets. So many of them said, you know, that was the first time that I thought, okay, we're going we're to emerge from this. It's not, uh, the city isn't irretrievably broken, and hopefully the worst of the uh, unrest is over. But you didn't know that at the time of that game. Well, there's still a lot of hope here. Uh, we do have reason for hope. One of the best things I've ever heard Buck Showalter say, and it was around this time, and he was saying, I don't know, I don't know I've never been a black man. Yeah. And you and I fa- come from the same uh, circumstances. We're white men. Um, there have been a lot of important books written by black men and women about their experiences growing up in Baltimore or New York City or Memphis or Detroit wherever um that said uh reading your book i'm taken back to antero patella's not in my neighborhood how great how bigotry shaped the great american city i was reminded about rebecca sklutes the immortal life of henrietta Lacks, Mm. about a woman from turner station that johns hopkins university made has made billions of dollars off of Mm -hmm. through uh her healer cells and uh 
for for readers who uh, are interested in that anthropology uh, and those social uh, justice issues and righting some wrongs, this is a book that I highly recommend. It's uh, When the Crowd Didn't Roar, How Baseball's Strangest Game Ever Gave a Broken City Hope by Kevin Cowherd. We thank Kevin for his time. His book is... Uh, was printed by Nebraska Press. It's available wherever books are sold. You can also go to www.kevincowherd.com for information about the book. Kevin, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Mac. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome, Kevin. It, it was a pleasure. Uh, this is Paul McMullen, Managing Editor of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.